show. Thank you to Cover Podcast Network. Thank you to thecover.com.au letting me do this every week. And thank you to all of you tuning in. Hopefully you're sharing it, liking it, subscribing to the newsletter, doing all those good things. Uh, I should I should just explain myself quickly. Got put into isolation earlier this week, uh, which is a bit unfortunate. So the guest I had coming in obviously couldn't come in anymore um, and then we weren't able to line him up um, with his schedule. So it was a bit, like a little bit uncertain around uh, around that and then just going through the process of sort of w- with the media manager and all of that, sort of identifying, saying, got COVID, uh, can't do the interview, then he got shifted on to, to do something else. So I couldn't line up a, a video interview either, which was uh, a little bit frustrating. So unfortunately for you guys, you're stuck with me on my own. So I, 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 was, I was initially just not going to do a podcast this week. Uh, but I thought what might be good as a last-ditch effort was to throw throw out to the subscribers and just ask, send in send in some questions uh, for me to answer. Which, you know, I guess I guess we'll see. It could it, it could it, it it may not work. Um, producers laughing. It may not work. It, it might work. I guess we'll see. It might be a short episode, and you can you can bang it out on your way to work instead of having to listen, you know, on your way to work and on, on your way home. So I guess we'll see. Um, but yeah, so we have rescheduled that guest. Uh, next week will be, an, will be another cool guest, but I guess this week you've got me. Uh, it is Masters Week this week, so it is a good week for me to be in lockdown, to be in isolation. Um, I should also clarify, <laughs> just going back, I don't have COVID. Someone who lives in my house got COVID. Uh, they've since left uh, for a while, but because we were exposed to that person uh, who was staying here, uh, we we all, so me, my partner, and, and my son, all now have to isolate uh, until until seven days post uh, exposure to, to that individual. So... Shouts to that guy. I know he doesn't listen to this podcast, so yeah, shouts to you. <laughs> I'm not going to name and shame on you, but shout to you. Uh, anyway, so I guess look, let's just let's just get right into it. Let's see if this works. If it doesn't, you know, uh, maybe I won't release this. Who knows? Uh, are these in any particular order? No. Okay. Cool. Uh, <laughs> the first one, uh, why do you hate Gitto Law so much? <laughs> you trying to trigger me. First question, you're trying to trigger me on my own damn show. You got some balls whoever sent that one through. Uh, I, I've written, I've, I, yeah, I guess I, I've written about this. So there is a pretty detailed column on the website, uh, at thecover.com.au. Uh, where I kind of go through the, the the drawbacks, I guess the reasons why um, scrapping it altogether um, would be a bad would be a bad idea, and even in its current form, I think it's now thirty tests and five years of of consecutive Super Rugby 
service. So even in its current form, it's like it. it I guess it's okay, but you know, it's it's basically an acknowledgement that Super Rugby, I guess, you know, is is head, heading toward is 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 heading towards a world where it's a development competition. It's not the pinnacle of of rugby in in Australia. Um, and you know, I I appreciate that we can't we can't compete with the money overseas at the moment. I think Rugby Australia is doing some work to to try and rectify that with a sort of hybrid hybrid contracting model similar to what they do in New Zealand. Um, I think, uh, I guess, an investigation into what private equity in rugby looks like is happening, um, which I think is is positive. I think if we're going to compete with the money overseas, then then you know, we're going to need an influx of cash. Um, but I guess, I guess the, the, I guess the major, major concern is we lose, we lose control of the development pathway. So, you know, like Noel Alessio is probably, probably the best example um, of this. So if, once he cracks 30 tests, which, you know, he's likely to do in the next couple of years, what's keeping him here in Australia? And, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, then Dave Rennie or whoever is the, is the coach at that time, then reaches out to whoever he's playing for in the UK or Japan or whatever, and says, you know, the, these are the things that that I'm looking for for Noah to do or improve on or whatever, and you know, they maybe they'll work with him, but they're just as likely to put up the two middle fingers. The other challenge that the the Gitto Law stuff presents is that World Rugby has uh, a regulation called Reg 9 and and it identifies two windows in which players can be released for international duty. Basically, the the clubs have to adhere to those windows. Those windows are November for the Six Nations and Spring Tour, I guess, um, and the July Test window. you know, which we've got England coming out to Australia this year, which should be really, really interesting given, you know, England's sort of fall from grace uh, over the last sort of 18 months. So it doesn't benefit the Wallabies a huge amount because our best players aren't going to be able to play in Bledisloe Cup matches. Um, you know, they're not going to be able to play in, in, in the rugby championship or you know whatever whatever they end up calling it with South Africa and Argentina because those fixtures are played after July um so i guess therein lies the the massive problem so you know the the i don't know that anyone at rugby australia has the nous to negotiate with world rugby and the northern hemisphere on extending those windows changing those windows changing that regulation i'm happy to be wrong about that <clears throat> I hope I am, um, but yeah, I just yeah, I just think it's yeah. Well, I guess I've made my point. And if you want more on that, just head head to thecover.com.au. Uh, click the you know, there's a category. Click rugby. Scroll down. You'll find it. I think I can't remember what the the title of the the article is called, but it's something like you know, rugby Australia scrap Gitto Law and kill Super Rugby. So. It, it, <laughs> Something to that effect.
The next one. How would you fix the game? Jesus. How much how much time we got? <laughs> no. Um this is a I guess this is this is a really hard one because I guess there's a I guess there's a there's a bunch of challenges at the moment with with rugby in its current state. You know, I I think one of the huge challenges at the moment is, is crowds. You know, not not a lot of people are buying tickets to Super Rugby games. I, I you know I haven't seen the the streaming uh, numbers and and the free to air numbers, but um, you know, so so I guess that's that's one of the issues. And and I guess I touched on that last week when I sort of said you know the the the, the current crop of Super Rugby players. I don't know how many of them are active members of their communities, and I'm not talking about you know club footy. I'm not talking about, you know, just chilling at the local coffee shop. I'm talking about, you know, what what are super rugby players doing to help their communities? You know, are they are they on advisory boards for not for profits? Are they volunteering their time to 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 local schools, you know, to work in the canteen or work in the you know, work work on getting kids on and off buses, you know, like so what are what are what are they doing in that space? I guess that's so that that's that's one aspect. The other aspect is particularly at club football. Well, to be honest, at any level, what opportunities are clubs, rugby teams, professional teams? What what opportunities are those clubs providing? You know, ex players, ex staff members, ex coaches to re-engage and and maintain an engagement with with the club you know like why can't you know i'm retired i'm a retired front rower <laughs> i might add you know my, my body can't handle playing anymore uh you know i've talked about my my coaching stuff but i don't i don't engage with the club as a coach why can't i go and play you know Touch sevens or, or Viva Touch or whatever Foxtel Touch, whatever the fuck they're calling it now, for my club against other clubs, you know, with with possibly other re, other retired players, or you know, why can't why can't I go and play sevens for my club? Why can't I go and play tens for my club? You know, what 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 are the other opportunities that we are providing other than becoming a coach or running the canteen? managing a team, what opportunities is rugby providing for re-engagement? So I guess that's that's, an, that's another part of it. We have to look at the game holistically and go, well, so if you look, I guess if you look at the NRL, for example, you know, you can play for the Raiders or for the Newcastle Knights as a, as a male or female now. Um you know, at the, at the NRL level and, and, and an NRLW level, you can also play touch for the Newcastle Knights as a, you know, male, female mixed. So there's there's just, I guess there's all these other ways, you know, we need to think about in rugby. How, we, how, how can we keep these people who sort of come and go you know how how can we keep them engaged in a way that's not coaching, that's not volunteering, and that's not you know playing until you're fifty. 
you know, I've provided a couple of examples on how to do that, but, you know, how, how are we doing that? And so, you know, we're really struggling with the community aspect connecting to high performance. I see that as an opportunity to go, okay, well, here's the Brumbies Viva 7s team, you know, and they, they, they might play before the Super W girls play. You know, reserve grade, is that a, is that a realistic thing that we can do? You know, I, yeah, there, there's a whole bunch of things. I guess then at the high performance end, you know, centralising, and, and I believe they're working on this, but centralising centralizing what we do. And, and, and what I mean by that is, is not that all the best young players move to fucking Sydney or Brisbane and, and they train together every day and then they just get farmed out to, to Super Rugby clubs. What I mean is looking at the things that make... Like, so, so when the Wallabies were successful, what did we have? What were the things that we had? What were the skills we had? What were the types of players we had? And how are we, how are we replicating that? Or how are we able to find those players and those skills and those, you know, that intelligence and, and develop that up through our super rugby teams and through, our, through into our national team? So when I talk about centralizing, I don't mean put everything in one place. I mean a uniform approach to athletic performance, long-term athletic performance. So, you know, making sure players understand benchmarks, players understand, you know, why, why the why around lifting in particular. So, so just, just looking at it from the lens of everything we're doing. So if you think of it like a pyramid, everything that we're doing at super rugby level benefits the Wallabies, everything that we're doing at club level benefits super rugby and everything we're doing at the junior and schools level benefits club footy. And ideally we'd like to have the NRC back in there somewhere, but just having an understanding of, of that, like a trickle down. So, you know, whoever the, the head of high performance is with the Wallabies is monitoring consulting, talking to the Super Rugby guys who are delivering there, then those guys are talking to the clubs and then the clubs are talking to junior clubs and schools. I feel like that, you know, that that kind of approach to athletic development and skill development as well. So, yeah, I think you look at Super Footy and a lot of these guys lack you know, lack refined skill sets. They, they really do, you know, catching, passing, kicking, e- even understanding like when to play flat, when to play deep, when to come on the ball with, with pace, when to shift it, when to throw a cutout and when not to throw a cutout. You know, so some of those intelligence things and, you know, part, part of that is, is the way that, God, I'm going on a real tangent here, but part of that is the way that footy is coached at a junior level and, and probably you know, up into club footy a little bit too, is is this idea of having having lots of structure, you know, being told when and where to go and what to do and, and all of that. And and that sort of stemmed from Rod McQueen. And Rod McQueen, I I don't know this. I don't know this because I was a kid when all this was happening. I've never met Rod. I've never spoken to Rod. But what what I perceive to happen is that, you know, he had a pretty special, special group of players. And I, I don't think... You know, anyone would, would deny that. You know, George Gregan, Stephen Larkham, Joe Roth, Tim Horan, um, 
you know, like once in a generation kind of players. And and a lot of them, Matt Burke um, is another good example. And I think he, he recognised that he had this group of pretty special players, but probably, you know, in this in the, in the way that they were playing football back then, still not quite good enough to to consistently get it over the All Blacks, get it to get you know get wins over the All Blacks. So, I th- I think he created a system, a very structured system and scripted system. You know, with it with the intention of of beating the All Blacks consistently, which which he which he you know you can't deny he did did for a period, and then I think because that was successful, that changed the way we as Australians thought about coaching, and so we kind of have this system now where everything is structured. So you know, and I, I use this analogy all the time when. When I was in school, for example, not not as a footballer, as a as a student, was always told there was a right and wrong answer. Then I got to university, and they they would there would be a question, and they'd go, "Well, what do you think, Liam?" Well, I've been, been told what to think. I've been told there's a right and a wrong answer. So what's the answer? I don't I don't know. You tell me. And I think that has translated. You know, I guess it's an analogy, but you know, think about a young fly half. If he if if he's been playing in systems his whole life, where he's been told where to go, what to do, who to pass to, what moves to run, and all of that, how then is is that player expected to think for himself, to look up and identify what's in front of him and play? And I believe that's why Quade Cooper really struggled in Australia initially. Is because they they we 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 weren't able to develop a system around him. Um, you know, we tried to fit him into into a system instead of recognizing that you know this guy has an elite an elite first step. He's you know he sees he he has incredible vision. Like you know, the, the, there were so many things that he did at an elite level, but he was almost shackled by structure. <laughs> And I, I get that, that I, I know that we're going on a t- on a tangent here, and 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 I'm not providing any solutions. But I think, yeah, well, I am. I am. I, what I'm saying is that to I guess to to wind it back and bring it back to my point is if we have a if if we have a centralized view of 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 what of what Australian rugby is, what are, what is the Wallabies like? What what are we? What are we good at? You know, what do what do we want to be our our brand? I guess, you know, go to 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 use a to use a a business analogy. So if we know what what we are and what what we want to do, how we want to play, the types of players that 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 we want to you know that we want to attract, then we can take a uniform approach to skill development and acquisition, kicking, passing, you know, IQ, mental skills, all of that, and we can develop a really strong curriculum for that. Uh, you know, in in the high performance system, which then will hopefully filter down into club footy and and schools footy and athletic development. So long term athletic development and understanding that you know we don't just want to put these kids in the gym and and get them lifting massive because that's you know that that that's 
that's not necessarily the way to go about it. So understanding, you know, the the build to to super rugby loading. Um, so I think you know the hype of that 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 element. If we can get that right, I think, you know, I think that would. And and I appreciate this. It's a huge job. Like, you know, I I think it, you know if Andy Marinos called me right now and said, Liam, I fucking love that idea. Let's do it. I'm not sure I'd know where to start. <laughs> you know, there'd be a lot of unwinding and and sort of you know looking at it and and I guess the other thing is 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 if we if we want to fix Australian rugby as you've you've put it, then I actually think we need to commit to a rebuild. You know, in in basketball, you know, you often hear NBA franchises talk about a rebuild and. You know, it's effectively a commitment to being poor, to being bad for a while. Um, and I think if we can, if we can identify, you know, that high level strategy of, of what we want to be and where we want to go and, and, and how we're going to do it. And, and that's transparent from the top down to fans, whatever. I actually think you'll garner a lot of favor and you'll get a lot of buy-in from people because they'll be like, okay, Finally, there's a plan. There's an understanding that what we've been doing is no good. And now we're moving towards this other model. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we envision it working. This is how the game's going to be developed, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, like if really succinct strategy on grassroots feeding high performance, you know, feeding wallabies, whatever, you know, club, Schools, juniors, clubs, Super Rugby, Wallabies, and hopefully we get an an NRC step or you know some something in there as well. I think yeah, I think that'll that'll actually excite people, and I think it'll get people, it'll get more people wanting to go to football games because they'll be like, yeah, you know, like we're bad now, but if we nail this strategy, we're going to be really good. And and look, I I appreciate it might be a ten year process. But you know, you you only need to look at what's at what's happened in Ireland. You know, is probably the the best, most recent example, where they're now starting. You know, David Nusafora is their their head of high performance. You know, he was he was run out the door here in Australia because he he proposed a a centralized model, and they came knocking at his door because they've seen the success in Ireland. They want to bring him back. I, I believe he said no. I, I I haven't spoken to him about it. Um, but I assume he said no because he's still there, right? But Ireland is the best example of this where they've gone through a process of being, you know, a, a, a mid-tier uh, international international team, but they've really developed their clubs, they've really developed their, you know, their high performance level, and, and now they've got a centralised system for men and women. Uh, and, and I believe that they, that, that they go... They, there's still more improvement to to go, and they're they're going to be a long term, you know, power in in world rugby. You know, the reality is the Wallabies are sitting at sixth at the moment. So that, that that's the reality. So I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> Apologies. Um, I mean, I guess the other thing I would I would say on that is the broadcast the dog shit. 
Sorry. That's, and, and, and I, you know, I don't, I, I mean that from, from a commentary perspective. And I think I've spoken about this on this podcast before in that you've just kind of got a bunch of ex players and rugby guys talking about rugby and, you know, they try and crack jokes and what, and whatever. But to me, the key element that we're missing is someone in there who can actually break down footage and articulate it or, or articulate plays and things that are happening on the field and articulate it in a very simple way so that if someone was just flicking through by the end of the and decided to stop on that channel and watch the game, by the end of the game would at least have a would it would at least feel like they they know what's going on? Like my, like my partner's been watching me play. You know, we've been together seven years, and five of those years I was playing football. You know, playing rugby. She would come and watch me every week. And and then afterwards, you know, we'd we'd watch we'd watch the Brumbies or the Wallabies or the or the All Blacks or Hurricanes Highlanders. You know, whoever was on the TV. She still doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> Seriously. And in my in my view, the broadcast just needs to be better. We need someone in there educating. You're like, oh Liam, that's stupid. John Madden. Yeah, a lot of you will know about Madden NFL, but John Madden was an incredible football commentator. And it's no it's no secret that as soon as he started commentating, the NFL got much more popular. And it's because he educated people on the game. He would look at he would look at a touchdown and he would say to the producers and the camera people, like, I don't want to see this dude running in open space. I want to see the blocks. I want to see the blocks that sprung that guy free and celebrate that and actually educate people on what's happening. You know, when when we do a a replay of a try, are we highlighting, you know, what what actually happened in the lead up to that that led to the break? And, and are we explaining that and articulating that? Because, you know, sometimes tries happen against the run of play, but generally there's a build-up to that and there are, you know, there are things that happen or there's tactics involved to, to, to spring someone loose. But I don't get any of that across in the broadcast. Now, would I like that job? I would fucking love that job. <laughs> if anyone from Stan Sports listening... Get me on the broadcast. I'll do it. But I just think, you know, we need to stop being so insular as well. You know, you know, rugby is so insular. We're so, we're not willing to accept help from, from outside. We're not willing to, to see other views. And I think that's why we've got, you know, and we don't play nicely with others. Like rugby might as well be a four-letter word. You know, just it's got such a bad reputation, and and I, I think it's just because we burn people and we we don't listen, we don't learn lessons because we're so insular. Like, why? How how are we going to learn lessons if it's the same five people talking about it in a boardroom all the time? So I think that's you know that's key as well. Like, just understanding that there are valid views from people who aren't necessarily rugby people but understand high performance or understand community groups or understand you know community communities of practice understand 
you know, how, 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 how watering the roots benefits the leaves. You know, if you think of the, the leaves of a tree as, as, as high performance and, and the roots as, as, you know, grass roots, that's what it is. Club footy, schools footy, junior footy. If you just water the leaves, the tree dies. So you've got to water the roots. Um, yeah, get a botanist in there maybe. I, I I don't know, but I think we need to stop going to the same well. And, and I'm pleased that Rugby Australia is starting to recognise that. Um, but, you know, and, and also understanding like sevens is an Olympic sport, right? Like, so there are a lot of benefits provided by Sport Australia, Sports Commission and the AIS that rugby, you know, could benefit from, you know, in terms of cost-cutting measures, in terms of access to elite coaches and scientists and, and that sort of thing. So, like, I don't know if they're doing that. You know, accessing research and, and people to conduct research, research grants, like, so it's just understanding, I guess, understanding the environment that they're operating in and what are the things that, that, that they can access that are going to help develop the game, you know, to a degree. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how long I just went on that rant for, but you know that I guess I hope uh, I hope I touched on some of what you were hoping to hear. <laughs> uh, next one. Ooh, who do you like for the Super Rugby and Super W titles? Uh I think uh, so. I'll do the Super W first. I think the Drua. Uh, the Fijiana Drua have been pretty fantastic. I really like the way that they play footy. It's unstructured. They throw offloads. They they throw passes. They kick. They back themselves. Very physical, very athletic, very fast. So I really enjoy, really enjoy all of that. Um, I think the biggest challenge for them now going into finals is they've been away from home for a long time. You know, they're based up on the Gold Coast. I don't know if they're getting paid or not. I don't. I don't. I don't know how that works. Um, certainly, the men get paid. I, I don't know if the if the women do. So I think you know at, at a certain point, you know that starts to get really hard being away from friends and family and and you know even the idea of you know the, the, there's obviously a lot of personalities on a team. You know if there's friction and you're around each other twenty four seven for six, eight, ten, twelve weeks. You know. That can be hard. So, you know, I watched I watched the game just before. They they, they got past the Brumbies 17-5. You know, it was rainy and, and, and all of that. And the, the rain definitely doesn't suit the Drua. So if it's raining, you know, leading into the finals, I think that's going to be that's going to be hard for them. You know, that's going to be the opportunity for, for the Reds or, or for uh, the Waratahs women to, to knock them over. So I think, you know, the, the big challenge now for them it's just going to be staying focused, um, you know, with the with the pointy end in sight. So I like them. Do I think the Waratahs or the Reds could beat them? I do. You know, the the Brumbies showed the blueprint uh, tonight. You know, it was just a shame that the Brumbies didn't create enough opportunities, but they certainly certainly stifled the Fijiana's attack. So Fijiana Drua's attack. So look, I'll say the Drua. Super W, but 
you know, I think it. it uh, yeah, I, I'll say the draw, but I'm I'm quietly confident. I'm not. I'm not saying that's a given. Uh, Super rugby. I guess this is, this is a hard one because we haven't seen. You know, I think you can't go past the Crusaders. They they are the the litmus test for a successful organization in sport. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I, the, the the amount of sustained high level success that they have had is quite frankly incredible uh, and improbable. You you don't you don't really see that level of of success for such a long period. In any sport, you know, you you could maybe say English Premier League, you know, Chelsea, Man United, Arsenal, Liverpool, but you know, even they go through, they've gone through patches where they've they've been pretty average. You know, Man U's going through one right now. the The Crusaders don't seem to do that. Like they just seem to every year are are top four, and then finals rolls around, and then you know they they look like look like the All Blacks, <laughs> you know, and and I think you know they they play a style of football that relies very very heavily on skill. I would say they are the most skilled franchise, and it's no frills. Like, yeah, it's exciting. They you know they they do throw the ball wide. They have some really exciting outside backs, but it it really is methodical in approach and. Really entertaining in delivery, I guess. Um, so I like I like them. I like what they've seen. You know, to to have won five, five of six, uh, just playing the the other Kiwi franchises plus minor Pacifica is really really impressive. You know the the disparity between top and bottom uh, over in New Zealand, I think is 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 much less than it is here in Australia. You know, I think, I know that the Highlanders haven't won a game yet, but, you know, they've been in every game, I guess. So, um, so I haven't won a game against a, a Kiwi opponent. And and I guess the challenge now is they're going to come out to Australia. The, the, back, the back end of the Super Rugby season is going to be played. You know, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to gauge where the Australian teams are in terms of, you know, looking at them versus the Kiwi teams. Like, I watch those New Zealand games and I I think they're more entertaining. You know, better skill, lots of offloads, you know, more, more talented players. But but I think it's be, because those teams are closer. closer. Um, whereas here, you know, the, the Brumbies and Reds are sort of the benchmark and... Everyone else is kind of vying for, for third, you know, the third team in Australia. So, I'll say, <laughs> I'll say the Crusaders. I, I just, yeah, I, I think they're going to come out here and win every game, and then it's just going to be about what happens, what happens rolling into the finals. You know, do I think the Brumbies and Reds could win a couple of games against Kiwi opponents? Absolutely, I think they could. Will they? You know that 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 remains to be seen. Um, you know the the New Zealanders year after year just seem to roll out younger, faster, better, stronger players. Um, so 
I'll say the I'll say the Crusaders, but uh, yeah, I th- I think it's going to be a Kiwi team. I think everyone knows that a Kiwi team is going to win. Uh, the Crusaders definitely seem to be the top New Zealand team again. You know, could I see an Australian team playing in the final? Probably not. I'm just yeah, I'm just going to be realistic. You know, it's a, it's eight teams in the finals. Yeah, I, I just I I don't see the Brumbies or Reds getting to the final, getting to a semi final for sure. I think you know maybe one of them could be be one of the the final four, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, or or not lack of a better term, lack of a more original <laughs> original idea uh, for sure. But I don't think there's an Australian team that can win Super Rugby Pacific. So I think, and I think the Crusaders have shown that they're they're top right now. Oh, switching topics. Who do you like at the Masters and why? Uh, well, so few pe- few people who listen know this. I- I'm in a, a a tipping competition, golf tipping competition. Uh, this will be my third season as part of that crew. I've never won. I've ne- <laughs> in the th- the three years uh, that I have been in that competition. I've never picked a golfer who has won a tournament, let alone a major. I'm always in, you know, I'm, I, I generally only miss like maybe one or two cuts a year, uh, but never picked a winner. So I wouldn't listen to me even if I... And I'll tell you, I picked Justin Thomas uh, and we, we, we have this thing... Uh, where you pick a backup player and after the first round you can switch off your first choice to your second choice. So my second choice was John Rahm. So after round one, uh, Justin Thomas was four over and I thought, well, that's not great uh, given it was pretty good conditions for scoring uh, yesterday. And, and you know, noting too that Augusta's like one of the hardest courses ever. So when I say good conditions for scoring, it's never really good conditions for scoring at Augusta. And then uh, John Rahm was two over. So he was sort of, I think he finished the day around 27. So I switched them. John Rahm is still two over. JT's one under. So he, he went five under uh, today. So that was a, a bit of a mistake. So uh, Tigers in the hunt. Uh, John, you know, John Rahm's really consistent. You know, Cam Cam Smith, Aussie Cam, mullet man, uh you know, he had a really good round yesterday and not so good round today. I think the unique thing about the Masters is very rarely does someone lead from start to finish. You know, Scotty Scheffler is five five strokes clear at the moment in the lead. But, you know, that's that's not insurmountable at Augusta. Scotty could have a bad day. Someone else could have a really good day. So, you know, I think I think we'll know more sort of tomorrow, tomorrow being Sunday, tomorrow morning. Uh, about that. So, you know, after two rounds, who do I like? Well, I like Scotty Scheffler. <laughs> uh, and I like, I think I like JT still, and I, I wouldn't count Tiger out. Like, I know he's he's um, battling, you know, battling with that leg injury, but, like, wouldn't that just be the most Tiger Wood things ever to do? Like, hasn't played golf in a year and a half, or a meaningful, meaningful tournament. 
played uh, played that tournament with his son. But you know, a, a, a major, you know, hasn't played in a long time. Almost had to have his leg cut off, and comes back and wins the Masters first crack. Like to me, that would just cement his legacy in golf. And and you know, there'll be people here up in arms like, "Why are you talking about Tiger Woods? He's such a piece of shit." Blah blah. And you know that that sort of raises an interesting di- dilemma for me because I always think about this argument. You know, just because you're good at sport, do you have to be a role model? It's probably a conversation for another podcast. Um, but you know, I think I think yes, you have a responsibility to be a role model, but do you have to be one? Probably not. <laughs> anyway, so. I guess I've given you the the lay of the land. You know, Sung Jae-im was good today. Hideki Matsuyama, uh, the defending champ, you know, he came from behind last year and got the win. Dustin Johnson, um, who, you know, to me is is probably one of the best golfers in the game at the moment and, and potentially, you know, when he's done, will be one of the best ever. You know, they're, they're all sort of sniffing around, so... Who do I like and why? At the moment, I like Scott Scheffler five, five. Scotty Scheffler five strokes clear. You know, I think that's a significant lead. You know, even if he can, even if he can just go around in in uh, you know one or two over tomorrow, not even shoot an, an under par round or an even par round. I think he still holds the lead at, at eight under. So, um, that's who I like after two rounds. Who are your favorite ever golfers? Oh, well, Tiger's one. Uh. Bobby Jones. So Bobby Jones is a guy, uh, he was an amateur, amateur golfer, refused to turn professional. He won the British Amateur, British Open, US Amateur, and US Open all in one year. So back in the day, those were considered the four four major tournaments. Uh, he's the designer of Augusta National, which is where the Masters are being played at the moment. He cost himself a US Open or British Open. I can't remember which now. Um, for calling a penalty on himself, even though his playing partner said, you know, it didn't happen, I didn't see it, no one cares, who's going to know? Uh, and, you know, the, the the interesting quote afterwards is they said, you know, that was a really noble thing he did. And he was like, well, you might as well thank me for, for not killing someone or not, um, you know, not robbing a bank. <laughs> He's a very, very fascinating guy. If you've got time, Google him. But he, he was a guy my grandpa used to talk about a lot. Um, for the for the amateur, the amateur stuff. You know, he refused to take any money to play golf. He played golf for fun. He was actually a lawyer and an engineer, I think, in the end. Uh, golf course designer, all of that. So you know, fascinating guy. Obviously, never got to see him play, but his stories always um, always intrigued me. Uh, there, there was a guy who used to play on the tour, Hank Keeney. Um, I don't know if any of you will know him. Uh, he was a huge monster driver of the ball back in the day. Um, you know, pales in comparison to what Bryson DeChambeau is doing, but just mo- like monster drives, you know, we're talking about 2005. Um, and he had a very unique stance set up and all that, which I tried to emulate, which went really poorly for me as a, as a junior golfer. But so I really liked him. I liked Big, Big Easy. Uh, Ernie Els, you know, he had a, an incredible swing 
easy power, just tempo. And, and you know, speaking of tempo swings, it's someone else I like is Nelly Corder. Um, she's unfortunately not playing golf at the moment. She had a, a surgery to get a, a blood clot fixed. But, um, like, if you want to see a pure, like, tempo, beautiful swing, like, just Google Nelly Corder swing. Like it, she she she's incredible, and you look at it and you think, wow, that's such an easy swing. And but she hits the ball a long way, like she can really crank it up. And 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 her sister too, um, uh, Jessica Jess. You know they got similar swings, a little bit different. Je- Jess is a, has a little bit more power to her swing, but both of them have this really rhythmic, pure tempo swing. Um, it's a weird question for someone who listens to the podcast to ask. <laughs> but yeah, the, I guess those are mine. Um, next one. Oh. Yes, yeah, yes, okay. So someone's picked this up from something I said last week. So uh, it says, you mentioned the WNBL has made some bad decisions and done some dumb things over... The years. Can you give some examples? Okay, so there's some that I can't give. Uh, <laughs> there, I'm just trying to think. So I was involved with the UC Caps, have been involved with the UC Caps since 2018. Uh, I've since finished my role uh, with, with that organization holistically. I still... Love the Caps. Um, have had a long affinity for them uh, being a Canberra kid. Uh, one that kind of sticks out, and it's kind of silly, but it, do- it does stick out, is we... So we had this player, Kia Nurse. Brilliant, brilliant player. Doing some awesome things for TSN uh, in Canada. She's a Canadian, but uh, providing really good commentary, really good... Um, really good broadcaster, awesome personality, awesome person, but awesome player, really, really fantastic player. And she won the league MVP. And she's the first international player to, you know, imported player, as they call it, or import, ever to win the, the league MVP. And we were told by the league that we had to do this presentation and we, you know, we had to do all of this and we had to provide stuff and so that they could do the thing. And Lauren Jackson, who was the head of the WNBL at the time was going to fly down and whatever. So there was this whole, you know, rigmarole about all the things we needed to do. Got there. There's no MVP medal. And the story that we got told is that Lauren Jackson, who was the head of the WNBL had posted the, the medal, and that was sort of the end of it. Didn't she? Didn't tell us that she'd posted it. Seems if she was gonna come, she'd just bring it with her. But whatever. And look, the, to say that uh, things went missing, we, we lived at the University of Canberra's camp, campus, uh, so to say things went missing often in the post at at the University of Canberra would actually be an understatement. Things went missing all the time. Things you know, were tracked there and said they arrived and they went somewhere else and never saw them again. Uh, so so that did happen. Uh, 
but she said that she'd posted it to the AIS and I, uh, Kia still doesn't have that medal. <laughs> that one was super silly. The, I guess the grand final thing is another example. Um, you know, there, there's been examples where, um, you know, pl- uh, you know, Mariana Tolo got fined once for for putting up a uh, a a Simpsons gif on Twitter. <laughs> you know the one. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to explain it, but you, you know you can. I think you can read about it. But she got fined twelve hundred bucks or something uh, for doing that after Sophie Cunningham. Uh, Sophie Cunningham effectively clotheslined one of our players and and didn't didn't receive a suspension. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of examples of them being inconsistent. Um, you know having having rules and regulations but then choosing not to use them which is which is what happened in the case of the grand final series and and I have to say like I'm I'm biased you know I I I struggle to see things through a, a one league lens because I am so wrapped in and and tied up with the caps um but there are there have been lots of examples over the years and 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 I think the problem comes down to so if you're in league management or competition management, which which as the head of the, the WNBL, that's that's your core function. You know, you you also have, you know, some stakeholder management in terms of sponsorships and 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 clubs and 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 players and and all of that. Actually, no, one more. Sorry, one more. One more. This this one is good. So uh, earlier this year, you might have seen before. Yeah, before I get into that, earlier this year, you might have seen uh, there was a um, a player was she, she had long braids, and there was a player, a, a, and and she was effectively um, cited a, a, a FIBA, which is the governing body for basketball, a FIBA regulation, um, you know, which which effectively banned long braids, or if you had long braids, they had to be tied in a certain way. Now FIBA had abolished that rule. Um, but the issue wasn't necessarily that she was cited that the league contacted the player directly, which never happens. Normally the process would be that the league would go to the team's general manager. The general manager would then go to the team's head coach. And then, you know, if, if I was, if I was advising in that function, we would then bring that player into the office, um, you know, into the the head office of or, or the front office, our team's office, and they, and and we would, you know, if, if it was general manager, head coach, you know, maybe a support person comes in as well, and effectively show them the email or or the, you know, the law, and say, look, this is what the league has mandated, um, and then you know, come up with some some strategy to To make sure that the player was supported throughout that, whether that be going back at the league and giving them the middle finger or or whatever, but the league, and I don't know who specifically at the league, but the league went directly to the player, um, citing that. So the player, you know, so no process in terms of of that, and and the so the player felt targeted. The player was a was an African American woman, 
and felt, you know, that she was targeted purely because of the color of her skin and, and because of her hair. Now, and and because the, the rule was outdated. So that that's another, you know, I guess I've given you a silly one and two pretty big ones where, you know, they just haven't, haven't followed process, haven't followed their own protocols and that sort of thing. So, you know, to for, for someone who's in in who was in my seat, you know, as part of a front office, it was very frustrating. And and anyway, I think that the the challenge is when you're in competition management, you know, when you're trying to manage a league, you're trying to run a league, you have to understand that you're not going to please everyone, and that's why you have rules and regs. That's why you have a regs committee, you know. That's why you have a league committee and all of that because they produce that stuff. And then, as the head of the WNBL, you then need to have a really tight understanding of all of those things, so that when 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 stuff happens, you know what's in, you know what the protocol is, you know what the process is, you know what the rule is, and you act based on based on that. And just understanding that you're not going to keep everyone happy. That you just can't, you know, whatever decision you make, you're never going to, you, everyone is not going to be happy, which is why you need to be able to fall back on the rules. You can't just fucking do your own thing. So I don't think people who go into that role fully grasp that concept yet. Um, and so I think therein lies the the massive the massive challenge is is you need someone in that role who is thick skinned, logical, um, is happy when they get into the role to just sit there and read through, you know, tons of meeting minutes and and league notes and rules and regs and you know have meetings with FIBA and and do all that boring stuff before they get into the fun stuff, which is the the delivery and. And you know, getting new sponsors and broadcast deal and and all of that. There's obviously a lot of a lot of stuff that goes into that role, but I think that's just what you need to understand is rules and regs are there for a reason. Generally, the team the teams have agreed to those, and it's your job to enforce them. Um. Yeah. So I think I don't. I think. I don't think I'm going to get in trouble for sharing those three things with you. Um, but, yeah, I guess those are, you know, three three examples. Um, yeah. All right, last question here. Uh, you mentioned in your columns that you're an F1 fan. When are we getting an F1 episode? Uh, okay. I don't remember ever mentioning that in my column, but... That's fine. Uh, I guess for some background, I, I I attended university in New Zealand uh, for a couple of years, three years. I only walked away with a year's worth, worth of credits, um, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, and I became somewhat nocturnal during those times. I was working in a bar. Uh, I was getting up early to do my gym work and then I'd go to uni and train and so I, I was up early or, or late um, depending on you know day of the week whether I was working or whether I was getting up to, to do my training um, 
you know, prior to my to my day to to make sure I was hitting my HP HP goals. Um, and there was a group of people who were really into Formula One. Um, one of them was an was an RA, a, a residential advisor or assistant or, or whatever. Um, and there are a couple of people, you know, in my cohort. And so we had this uh, like TV room in our residence, um, you know, university residence. So in New Zealand, you kind of just stay there for a year and then you go off into the world and and uh, rent an apartment and whatever, you know, be a big boy. Um, but anyway, we had this sort of common uh, TV room and, you know, most weekends um, between sort of the hours of, you know, 3 a.m. and 7 a.m., uh, F1 was on the on the TV. Uh, and you know, th- this is back from, I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself here, but these are, this is before streaming services. So, you know, the, 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 the only forms of entertainment we had were, you know, sort of Foxtel. Um, they, they called it sky in New Zealand or, you know, you needed to carry around like a folder full of DVDs. So, you know, I used to, or, a, you know, a hard drive with, with illegally downloaded, movies on it so you know i would i would often sort of come home from work or you know come home from from the gym or be be on my way out to the gym and i would sit with them and sort of watch and like initially it didn't make any sense to me it was kind of boring and then but then they started explaining to me the tactics and you know who's who on the teams and you know so i i became invested that way and then you know as a you know someone with a media bent like i really like the broadcast. I like the way the, the commentators explain things, you know, getting the radio feeds and that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I kind of got into it and then, then fell away for, for a number of reasons. I think, I think it's really hard. Like, you know, if you follow three or four sports really closely, like it's hard to keep up with a fifth or sixth or seventh. So I think, you know, that's, that's a challenge. And so I sort of stopped, kept an eye on it, but stopped following it. And then, you know, like everyone, everyone in the world, it seems like, you know, the F1 uh, Drive to Survive documentary came out on Netflix and, you know, I was, I was right back in it. So to a- <laughs> I've been doing this a lot tonight going on a tangent, but to answer your question, uh, it's coming. I'm working on, I'm working on something. Uh, I'm not sure yet whether it'll happen or whether it'll come through, but I am working on something uh, to do an episode on Formula One. Uh, it's it's it is a challenging process, is what I'll say. Uh, I might get into trouble if I reveal too much, but it is a challenging uh, process at the moment. But I'm working on it. Is all I'll say. Uh, and and. I'll preface it too by saying that it won't just be me here. It will be uh, someone else or a or, or bunch of other people. And, you know, Grand Prix this this weekend, tomorrow, uh, pumped to have it back in Melbourne. Unfortunately, wasn't able to go this year uh, with our infant son. <laughs> it's probably not a great, uh, not a great space for him. Uh, but uh, it's something that I, that I would would really like to do and, and kind of make a semi-regular thing. You know, my partner is is into it now because of the documentary too. 
So it's coming. That that episode is coming. Uh, and, you know, if, if for, for those who who maybe haven't seen the documentary yet, I, I recommend doing it. Like, go and watch it. It's really cool. It's really interesting. Uh, and, you know, pick a team. Ferrari doing good things this year so far. You know, Mercedes look like they've fallen back to the pack a little bit. You know, um, McLaren too. Ricardo and Norris seem to be really struggling with those cars. And I I guess that's the other thing I really like about it. It's so, like, avant-garde. Like, you know, it's a bunch of guys sitting around like, how do we make this car go faster? (laughs) Let's try some shit. I'm sure it's much more technical than that, but, you know, kind of reminds me of, you know, when you're a kid. I don't know how many of you built, you know, like a, Billy card or anything like that. It just kind of reminds me of of that, you know, sitting around with you with your friends, going like, "Let's build this Billy card so we can push each other down a hill, and we'll give it wings, and we'll make it." You know, we'll yeah, we'll, we'll put a lawnmower engine in it and make it. You know, <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly what the the F1 engineers are talking about. Um. So anyway, it's coming. That's all I'll say. That's it. All right get many questions coming through mustn't have a very big subscriber base (laughs) all right well that's it then um yeah look thank you thank you to to those who sent questions through oh there were more yeah okay oh well we're, we're at an hour yep anyway thank you to those who who sent questions through um I actually enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed hearing me answer them. Um, yeah, maybe we'll do another one of those at some point. Um, yeah, maybe I've got Lydia Williams coming back again. So I'll tell you what, if you've got questions for her, flick them through. So you can either do that through uh, my Instagram page, which is at give Liam, or you can email us uh, admin at thecover.com.au and just say attention give them Liam podcast and then put your question in the in the email um, I think that's the best way to do that so thanks to whoever's going to listen to me ramble for for an hour the cover podcast network thecover.com.au please make sure you get there have a look at what's going on there fifth and dribble uh, are doing two podcasts a week, the daily dribble doing one a week. I've got one a week. Tobias Canning's doing his NRL column. There are more podcasts coming in the next few months. There's more columnists coming on. There's more content being released every single day. Something is happening. You can find us on Instagram at the cover AU one word AU like Australia. Make sure you do that. Click on some ads on the website or just look at them. Impressions count too. And I will be back next week with another episode. Hopefully with a guest. I guess we'll see. Thanks all. See you next week.